Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Thursday, August 25th, 2022. I am John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. Noah Rothman is out for the week. So with me, as always, Executive Editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. And Media Commentary Columnist Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. Remember the Inflation Reduction Act? Boy, that was amazing because we somehow mysteriously managed to reduce inflation by $300 billion while spending $700 billion. Well, guess what? No inflation reduction, no more, uh, according to Joe Biden, because he is just in one fell swoop and with a a mysterious, mysteriously assigned uh, executive power announced he's spending up to half a trillion dollars to forgive um, student loans uh, on let me see if I understand this right. On singletons making less than one hundred and twenty-five thousand a year, and family mem- members making less than two hundred and fifty thousand a year. I don't quite understand how that breaks. Doesn't matter. Really, doesn't matter. Half a trillion dollars in spending, poof, like that. No congressional authorization. No oversight. Nothing. Using some emergency power created to forgive student indebtedness for people who joined the military after 9-11. That seems to be the modality. That's some modality. Uh, and uh, let's talk about... we got, we got to do 15 different things here. We can talk about the policy as policy. Then we can talk about the policy as philosophical citizenship questions that it raises and then we can talk about the politics so um unfortunately the politics is the only thing that's really interesting here because the policy what's wrong with the policy is so self-evident to me but maybe we need to explain it anyway so christine uh you're 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 your sort of object lesson here as somebody who uh, see i never had student loans the last year that i was in college the t- tuition room and board at the university of chicago was $6100 which somehow my 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 parents were able to to muster so that's how old i am uh i started $4500 tuition room and board ended up $6100 tuition room and board and I, but I worked during college. I made I made money, so my parents didn't have to support me in the, in that way. And, pay, and I actually paid rent in my last year. But you took student loans and you paid them off. Yes. Yeah, so I, as an undergrad, had a student scholarship. So I paid my and worked. So I paid by scholarship and and working through undergrad. I graduated from college with no student loans. But when I went to a graduate program, PhD program, although I had a fellowship for most of it, I did towards the end have to uh, take out some student loans in order to finish up my degree. Um, and so when I you know, graduated with a PhD and started looking for jobs, I did have student loan payments that kicked in, I think it was what, like six months after. So that was part of my budget. I had to, I had to make sure that I was able to to pay that monthly fee and and eventually, you know, many years hence, uh paid it off. I paid off the full stone student loan. I it was very gratifying to do that. And uh um, you you asked a, a simple question about like what what the policy you know the policy can be very complicated. I actually think it's very simple. Like this is unconstitutional. 
most likely inflationary and completely on a moral level unfair. And that's where the unfairness of it, I've been thinking about it for the last 24 hours because we talked a little bit about it with Eliana yesterday, but I was trying to think about how everyone's discussing this. And when people like me who say, you know, isn't this unfair? Doesn't this send a message about like, you know, contract breaking contracts? Uh, because these loans aren't being forgiven or canceled. The loans were taken. The money that was already spent, services were rendered. So these are the to talk about this as forgiveness sounds nice. To talk about it as canceled debt sounds nice. But in fact, it's it's the breaking of a contract. It's setting a very dangerous precedent. And at the end of the day, if you're someone like me who says, you know, this is really unfair, and also it's unfair for the people coming up now because as after June, if you take out a student loan, you're not going to get this benefit either. So it, there are se several layers of, of students and potential students right now who will not receive this very cynically, politically cynical uh, benefit. But if you if you say that, you're called unkind or unfair. You're told don't you want the next generation not to have the burden that the previous generation had? You know, there, there's a way of talking about this. Uh, and I think the president did it yesterday. And again, very cynical way, although perhaps politically effective. He compared it to the PPP loans, bailout loans during crisis. This idea that this was some sort of moment of crisis where a particularly small subset of borrowers were under some enormous strain that no other borrower has ever experienced. And it was completely unfair. And so is justifiable for the federal government to act in this particular potentially unconstitutional way. Um, I'm not buying it. Now, I, I, the unfairness of it is real. And I think Democrats are doing a disservice as a party to act as if the people who are worried about that are somehow just mean people who don't want the next generation you know, to have to deal with debt. Debt is something you incur as an adult at, and you, you've made a choice to take it on. If you, if you take on too much, there are ways to restructure it. There are other, there, you know, there are lots of different ways to handle debt and lots of Americans are in debt. I'm not trying to downplay the, the kind of psychic and eco economic consequences of living in debt. But this is sending the wrong message about how to handle debt. And I don't think it's, um, it sets a bad example and, and, um, Perhaps I sound cruel in saying so, but I think if you go, particularly if you go to a professional to get a professional degree of some sort and you take out loans for that, you should do it expecting to have to pay back those loans for however long that might take. I mean, so, think about, oh, so, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I mean, it also, uh, I think, arguably exacerbates the problem um, because who's going to who's going to who's going to worry about saving now? Um, for for in order to pay such debts and 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 in what way would this stop um, or or sort of um, ease the problem that is rising tuitions right I mean because now if the, if the government's going to swoop in and 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 sort of get people off the hook then the system gets perpetuated you know indefinitely. Um, and and no, that's right. And it's also the cap that they're saying, which will be like, oh, we're capping it. Look, we're not we're not going to this isn't going to help the upper upper middle class and, and upper class people who don't need it. But the but the people who are getting most of the relief are at the beginning of their careers right now. They are likely to be long term high earners. They really will be the upper middle class and the upper class in about 10 years. So it, it is unfair in that regard. OK, well. I just wanted to point out the verbiage uh, that Christine that you used because it it suggests the moral crisis and the the um, you know the uh, terrible uh, not even unanticipated anticipated consequences of this, which is you said, look, people, particularly professionals who take out loans, should expect to pay those loans back. 
taking out a loan means you're borrowing something and then you have to pay it back. There is no other meaning of a loan. A loan is not something you get and then somebody says, no, no, don't worry, you have to pay it back. You sign a contract. That is what a loan is. The person who is loaning you the money or the institution, whatever it is, then gets a fee in the form of interest payments for having emptied his or her or its bank account to give you money. You then pay that money back with interest. That is how the system functions, is that the the the, the loaner gets some juice for his loan. And this is a transaction that has and the the fund the, the validation of this transaction in terms of world commerce and the world economy is what made possible the massive growth of the last three centuries. Because as you may know, uh, or people may not really know, uh, it was once considered a moral stain to loan money at interest. One of the reasons that Jewish people got into banking in the first place was that it was so disreputable uh, that Christians wouldn't do it in Christian countries and Jews were therefore sort of given some weird choice since, since we were considered to be damned anyway of being the provider of this repulsive but maybe necessary act of giving someone money and then oh, and then getting the money back over time with some vig so that you so that you had a, a a going and prospering business and when the loathing of interest <laughs> um subsided uh as the industrial revolution started this is what has made possible the the capitalism and the and growth which is that People share various forms of risk. Somebody is going to build a building, doesn't have enough capital, goes to somebody to borrow the capital, builds the building, sells it to a third person, makes a profit, gives the person who loaned him the money back the money that he loaned at interest, and then keeps whatever the rest is for profit. And chances are that person who bought the building from him himself had to take a loan from another person. And so... The story goes, and this is how you can do things without having 100% of capital in your hands. And that's the theory behind student loans is um, you have future, going to college will provide future earnings. You have a vested interest in going to college, therefore, you don't have enough money up front to, to pay for the whole thing. So you're going to borrow it, pay it back with the increased earning power that you have because you went to college. Now, is that true? That's where we start getting into interesting and distortive effects of the student loan program. And that those distortive effects aren't just the distortive effects of, um, I mean, they're distortive effects because a lot of people who take student loans don't graduate from college. And so we have this moral, we have this moral stain on the system where um, people are encouraged both by government guarantees and by whatever, to take a shot at this. Sure, go borrow $10,000 and go to college. Um, according to the numbers that we have 
somewhere between six and seven and 10 people who attend college do not graduate from college. Presumably most of those people are probably, unless they're are pr- probably borrowed a little money. And so the deal breaks down because a lot of people are sold a bill of goods about how great it would be for them to go to college, which they either are, they don't either have the, uh, financial capacity to handle for four years or they don't have the or life intrudes and they have to do other things to support themselves and support their families or it just doesn't speak to them it, the intellectual process of getting that kind of higher education is not for them and they were they were sold a bill of goods that everybody can go to college everybody can get a degree everybody can sort of jump into the upper middle class in this way this only makes that deal with the devil worse and it only makes the deal with the devil worse because unless this becomes permanent and we can talk about that because this is a big issue now is whether you know this is a this is a a goodie that can be taken away um unless it becomes permanent suddenly going to college is going to look a lot better to people on the grounds that maybe they can take loans and then maybe those loans will be forgiven later and so whoop de doo like yeah let's let's we'll take a stab we'll give it a shot and it really isn't for everybody yeah but they're going to turn the entire country into the hamburglar like you know I'll gladly pay you tomorrow <laughs> i mean it's it's that's wimpy it's, i think that was oh, wimpy, sorry that's so wimpy yeah sorry yeah. wrong wrong yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> i'm hungry i haven't eaten my breakfast yet um there's a clip going around that's that's kind of instructive in terms of it, it it's it's definitely a litmus test on, on how you feel about this issue and it's from 2020 and it's uh, senator elizabeth warren being questioned at, at an event and and a voter says my daughter's getting out of school i've saved all my money she doesn't have any student loans. And Warren's response is, God bless you. So the voter says, am I going to get my money back? Because there was had been a debate about student loan forgiveness, which Warren is obviously a big supporter of. And Warren says, of course not. And it's very flippant, right? It's just like, oh, of course not. But the next people will. And you're a terrible person if you don't agree. But that clip is going to, a lot of people look at that and say, you know, yes, queen about Elizabeth Warren, you know, being a champion for the for the next generation. But what that mother was articulating was what I think a lot of Americans feel, which is we sacrifice to make a better life for our kids so that they don't enter the world with a lot of debt. But that did require sacrifice as a family. People take out second mortgages on their homes. They do all kinds of things in order to afford as as a importantly noted earlier, an over overly inflated college tuition cost nationwide. And so those people are the ones who will pay for this forgiveness. Those are the people, regular people who've actually done the right thing are the ones who are going to pay for this. Also, I mean, so, I, yeah, I'm sorry, I, sorry. I, think, I think, John, what, what you were talking about in terms of, um, sort of, okay, so now more people going to college who, who it's really not for them. Um, I, and that, so, so this this sort of the the the, the problem grows on itself here, and it, and it's and it's a bigger issue, and, and this expands um, credentialism too. You know, which is which is another issue here, which is that you, you know every, everyone now uh, needs uh, uh, to get some sort of credential uh, next to their name to have some sort of standing to be able to get employed to to mean anything to anyone. Um, happened in, in concert with um, the, the sort of the death of apprenticeship. You know, um, now you need you need these these uh, these credentials, and and 
it's a problem because often what what people are being credentialized in, and I don't want to get too far afield here, but and this is this is another problem with universities and right now and why it's not so vital that everyone go is they're being credential credentialized in a bunch of garbage pr- programs, <laughs> right? But let let's take it let's let's step back and take that point. So I was reading somewhere, and again, we have this, this is the world of the internet now, so I don't remember what the state is or where the issue is precisely, but there is some state that is going through the process of looking to license daycare, or there is some proposal to license daycare that says that daycare workers should have to have college degrees. D.C. wants to do that. Washington, D.C. wants to require that. Okay. So let's talk about credentialism. Why on earth should a daycare worker have to get a college degree? Because it's a stand-in for intelligence? Is that is that the idea, that we need people who are daycare workers who can sort of read signs, follow the rules, you know, know what things are, know what to do if a kid gets sick, how to get to the emergency room and stuff like that? Are we now, are we now saying that you need a college degree to take care of a three-year-old because in the United States, I wish to point out 65 to 70% of people in this country do not have college degrees and they have children. Are they therefore incompetent at the act of having children because they don't have a college degree? Are we, are we going to put ourselves in the position where people are not able, that is a classic entry level job because all you need to be is caring responsible and extremely patient patient <laughs> and all of those qualities are qualities that do not require four or two even two years of community college or four years of college and it's wildly insulting it's almost it's almost repellently insulting it's the sort of thing that you know turn you into you know i mean it, it is radicalizing that this is the way this kind of thought process goes. And it is credentialism for the sake of credentialism. And we're not now even talking about what Abe's talking about, which is, you know, getting a degree in gender studies or getting a degree in, or one of these degrees in, you know, communications or whatever that is, um, you know, uh, media communications where people watch television commercials for four years and then, and then, and then get a degree or something like that. Um, so there is another moral issue, which is that you are you are creating, we already have an implicitly bifurcated society of the credentialed and the uncredentialed. We are living through the consequences of this credential, credentialed age in the kind of unbelievable cultural and social divide that we are living through that everybody understands, that we are have a very simple, plain, dividing line through we just saw it this week in these special elections and primaries and what's going on with Dobbs and all that democratic party has become the party of people with college degrees and the republican party is becoming the party of people or the base or whatever you want to call it of people without college degrees and uh these people are living in two separate realities they're two separate they have different concerns different needs different and this is the idea that the people who don't have college degrees have a role in making life easier for people with college degrees. And that 
is craziness. Okay, because then you then hear people say things like, well, we pay farms. I mean, yeah, I heard all day yesterday people who were like trying to analogize this to anything else of which there is no possible analogy. Farmers get subsidies. Well, farmers produce a product that people need. And a lot of us, by the way, don't think farmers should get subsidies. So that's not fair. Like if, if I could snap my fingers, I would end all agricultural subsidies in the United States and on the planet Earth and then see what happens there. But farmers get subsidies. What about rich people? Rich people get the, uh, with the interest or all that. And none of that is real. This is something that says the federal government is going to insert itself into private contract, val- invalidate private contract, and say, you, you people over here who did X, you're fine. And if you didn't do X, nothing is free. That money that you know you are you are you have now effectively paid federal government will be on the hook for half a trillion dollars and that is a regressive tax right the people paying for it do not get the service they get nothing yeah. from the service except the democratic mind seems to think we'll all benefit if all these college educated people aren't struggling under debt and that's why i think john you're absolutely right if you look at the the sort of clamoring for for metaphors that was going on for the people who support this it was compared to uh you know fema money that's sent to people who live in flood zones or, hur- or hurricane prone areas it was compared to the ppp loans which was just offensive because those were given to businesses that didn't have a choice they were forced to shut down and close and lose income during the during the pandemic um they they've kind of casting about desperately at straws but on it there's another the, the most cynical reading of this is that it is going to be a political win-win for the biden administration regardless of whether they get it or not because if it goes to the supreme court and the court says you do not have the authority to do this then that's a great message for the democrats they'll say look at this horrible conservative court they hate middle class people who we're trying to help by giving them loan forgiveness i mean it's so cynical but it actually strikes me as not unlikely that that would be one of the one of the courses of events uh, that this policy proposal is likely to take. I'm, I'm, which, I'm which, oh, go ahead. I'm which which also points to another problem with this, which is that um, this is just the beginning, right? Um, why would we not now see uh, um, any 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 leader, any elected leader around? You know, in, in in the in the few months running up to to a big election, um, pick off whatever segment of the population they need um, with a little with a little with a little gift like this, um, and that's bad. That's 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 you know that that gets to a larger question about well, oh our, yeah our relationship with with right. with the government. So you know it's interesting because in two thousand and two or two thousand and four, I can't remember which, uh, in an effort to um, uh, juice the economy. The, if you remember, the Bush administration um, refunded people's uh, withholdings. Uh, you know, the federal government withholds from every paycheck, right, uh, or whatever. The government withholds from or conventional paychecks, uh, and so. Um, they sent $300 to almost every household. But the idea there was that you were sort of getting your, um, your income tax refund or your average income tax refund back early. 
because the economy was slow and it was slow because of 9-11. Da, 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 da. Give people some give people some money to juice the economy in with immediate spending. And there was a degree which that was almost insanely um cynical because it was this effort to say, oh look, we're giving you money, vote for us. But on the other hand, it was everybody's money. They were just getting it back early because the federal government has this power to withhold your tax money, which, you know, it gave itself. And so it, it can give it back. This is something. So we already have almost 20 years of gimmicks involving efforts by the executive branch to say, look, I have directly intervened in your life to make your life a little easier. You know, uh, I'm the president and I'm sending you money. Um, so yeah, uh, I, God knows what, what kind of bidding war could, could be involved here. And then the question is, okay, so you don't have a college loan and the Republicans win in 2024 and they win on the basis of non-college educated people. What are they going to get? Like how, what, what, how is that, how is that going to work? Forgive all the car loans people have. They need their cars to get to work and the economy's slow. And I mean, you could justify almost anything. I will note, it's important to note that the justification legally that the Biden administration is using for this is that we are still in a state of emergency. He's he's relying on this use of emergency powers because he claims that the COVID-19 pandemic remains an emergency that justifies this overreach. Um, so that'll be interesting for courts to, I assume courts will be will be haggling over that. But the but that is worrisome at another level because the I, the permanent emergency will continue as long as the Democrats can use it to to force through policy policies that actually they can't get passed in Congress. Right. Uh, so let so um you know i was in the what are they doing this is craziness camp like this is crazy and no one's gonna buy it and all of this and as as i sent this to you guys then i saw this chart and now i'm not so sure that this isn't brilliant although unbelievably destructive of the american social contract scott galloway the sort of gadfly investor you know very interesting guy uh found this chart it's average student loan debt right so it's either twenty thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars you get written down right up to up to this two hundred fifty thousand dollar top so i I was thinking because of course i'm a parochial person uh, with a kid going off to a fancy private college eh ten thousand dollars like okay you know what it's a it's terrible policy but only is a terrible policy but $10,000, like, do you know how much a college education with tuition and room and board and everything costs in the United States? This isn't even going to be a drop in the bucket. And I'm wrong. Like, that's, as I said, that's where I, I'm living in a fantasy world of, you know, of, uh, you know, wild, wildly elite at institutions because the vast majority of student loans in the United States or student loan indebtedness per person is under $25,000. So according to the chart that that Scott Galloway put out, something like, I'm trying to do the math here, 29 million people have student loan debt $25,000 or under. 
and the average, and then everybody else who has larger loans, by the way, who will get some of their loans forgiven, right? Um, is more like uh, eight, three, 16 million. So I look at this and I think, my God, they're actually going to do it. Like they are going to wipe out enormous, enormous numbers of people are going to be debt free if this ever were to happen. That's amazing. Like, you know, as a transparently cynical political ploy, you always hear about this. It's like, we're going to do this. We're going to subsidize your phone, right? We're going to subsidize your cell phone. So you, the Obama phone thing that happened in like 2012. But like, that's like a couple hundred bucks. You know, it's like really people really going to, or the $300, you know, rebate of your income tax. We're talking here about 20, 25 million people one day have debt. And then the next day will not have this yeah. debt. And you know what the average income of the people who will get that debt wiped out is? It's around $76,000. You know what the average income is of the average American? About $31,000. It's still deeply, deeply unfair to right. the average people who haven't done taken out those. Those people also have debt. Look, I would be, I think all of this is crazy, but if you're going to do it and you're going to do it in a way that, that, that at least would read kind of message wise is more fair, you would have a component that would help people who are in the trades or in blue collar work who do take out loans for their equipment, for their tools, for their apprenticeships. People have to take out loans to to uh, further better themselves in a lot of different careers that aren't college degree required careers. And there's a way to do that. You want to give them rebates or, or, or benefits uh, like you're giving the college educated? Fine. I still don't think that's a good idea. That's not what the federal government should be in the business of doing. But at least it would be more fair. This is just blatant, blatant college educated folks pay off because we expect them and hope that they will come to the polls for us in the midterms. But here's where I, I have a question about the efficacy of this, uh, cynical as it is and the rest of it. Um, the college educated is that's 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 who they've already got the best shot with, right? So why are they buying off their own? So Eliana asked this yesterday, and I think the answer is even darker than you can possibly realize. Because Good. it's not even about buying them off; it's just about generating enthusiasm among them. Because what we've seen since the Dobbs decision in these special elections and primaries and, and, and jazzed up democratic turnout is <laughs> a revival or a resuscitation or something of democratic enthusiasm about voting in November. And that's all this is about. They are going at people that they already have who historically have very low turnout numbers. People in midterm elections, as I said yesterday, under the age of 40, tend not to turn out. So if you're like, here's $20,000, go vote for me. Maybe that'll, you know, that that could, if you sort of add in this swing in enthusiasm, uh, democratic optimism, all of that, they're pulling out the stops. They are, you know, they are, they're no breaks. They're just, they're going for it. Uh, what we have here is a reckless 
you know, flight 93, they're flying the plane into the ground in order to save America from the Republicans in November. And when I say they're flying Americans to the ground, I literally mean like, you know, uh, the, the moral hazard here, we haven't even, I mean, we've sort of played around with it, but I mean, we are, this is what the Tea Party rose from. The Tea Party <laughs> rose in 2009, ordinary Americans hearing that because 8% of the country was having trouble um, paying off it, their mortgage, you know, they're making their mortgage payments. That uh, and not, but ninety-two percent were making their payments. That in order to deal with the horrors of what's going on with the eight percent, um, the federal government might forgive those loans or come in and ratchet down uh, the loan. Uh, you know, the the APR of everybody's loan. I mean, a lot of people were proposing this. You know, Larry Lindsay was proposing sort of like an announcement that all loans would now go to four percent or something like that, and. Peter Santelli and those people said everybody, most people, almost everybody is fulfilling their contract. And we are now having a serious conversation about that invalidating contract to deal with this problem. This is not right. Most people live by the rules and we are rewriting the rules to help people who either don't want to play by the rules or can't play the, or made reckless deals that they deserve. And this is where it starts getting kind of hairy. But if you make an incredibly reckless deal, if you borrow money, you have no hope of paying back. If you are the sort of person who probably can't get through college, but you are seduced by the idea of going to college because it seems like you want to go to a tailgate and then you might, you know, if you're, um, you know, Olivia Jade Giannulli, the daughter of Aunt Becky, and you say, yeah, sure, I'll go to college so I can go to a tailgate, um, you know, you're some version of that. Um, granted, you're very young and you're very heedless and you're very reckless, but uh, you don't get a pass because you're an adult. You can now vote, for example. You can do all sorts of things, and you don't get a pass if you sign a contract saying you owe money. You have to pay back. If you can't pay it back, you are then in default. And that is part of a horrible life lesson that you have to learn. If you get, if you're a seven and a 19 year old and you go to some, you know, like chop shop used car lot and you, and you get them to give you a $60,000, you know, Mustang at 22%. And after three months, you can't pay it and they come and, repossess the car and you're still on the hook for the money that's why people in your life are supposed to tell you not to do that sort of thing well and it's and they're closing the door right behind them on this it's not even as if it's this is going forward a policy that you know there's going to be a general policy of loan forgiveness with certain you know under certain amounts or over certain amounts it's just this this one group gets this like it's like oprah giving away a car at the end of an episode it's like you all get a car and then that's it the next guests who come in the next day to, to watch the show don't get anything there are some curious curious things though to your tea party point and the idea that this is kind of inside the beltway elite uh, political payback or cynical move to get voters. I think that's absolutely right. The Washington Post did a breakdown of where, who carries how much debt, where they live, how much, you know, the percentage of it that's for graduate education, which is quite high, we should add. Most of these, I think half or more than half of these loans are generally for graduate education. Um, 
But I was interested by the geographical distribution. There are two places that have the high, that where average federal student debt per borrower is quite high. Washington, D.C. and Maryland. So in Washington, D.C., the average federal uh, student debt borrower has $55,000 and uh, in debt. In Maryland, it's $43,000. Those are the top two. Guess what's the major industry in D.C. and the Maryland suburbs? The federal government. Government, government work. Yeah. So it's an interesting, again, I, I mean, this, this obviously this is an area that attracts people who want to do that work for obviously, just like L.A. attracts people who want to be celebrities and, and movie stars. But it's interesting to me that, that again, the payoffs will reward a certain class and a certain type of voter. So that that goes to, you know, the ambitions of this sort of thing, which are not transitory, right? I mean, what radical, you know, what sort of the people who started pumping for this years ago seemed very radical and crazy, Right. And it was seemed ridiculous, like Elizabeth Warren saying you should have all your student debt forgiven. And now those people are saying, well, okay, this is a this is a nice opening shot. Nina Turner, people like that. I mean, this is okay. But you know, you gotta forgive everybody's debt. You know, my friend Eddie Glaude saying, like, this disproportionately harms minority like student debt disproportionately harms minorities because they're borrowing and they have less capacity to pay back. We need to retire all student debt forever. Make community college free, whatever. Okay. Um, so let's talk about the practical effects of this. We are, so we are, again, I don't think this is going to happen, which we should get to also, which is like, what does it mean now that Biden has proposed a policy that he knows and everybody knows, including Nancy Pelosi, who yesterday said, wow, I said a couple months ago, he didn't have the power to do this. I guess he has the power to do it. Woohoo! Great, fantastic, because she has to, you know, support his ambitions. Um, but uh, I don't think it's going to happen. And I think it, the interesting scenario, yeah, is that the courts are mean and they can play it off against the courts. But um, what what we have here is a should it happen? Um, we got eight and a half percent inflation. Federal government is now just essentially going to say, is going to say to these, you know, 50 or 60 million people, here's monthly, I don't know what it would be. Here's 600 more dollars a month for you to go play with in your sandbox. Are they going to save it? Probably not. It's probably not quite enough money to go into a savings account, though it's a lot. But I mean, will they, you know, we could see people using it to buy first homes or something like that. What's the net effect of that? Massive inflation in the housing market. What's the effect of um, 30, 40, 50 million people getting somewhere between 300 and $600 a month back in their pocket that they were sending off to this? Now, you could say that that money is, is zeroed out because they would have paid it. Now, they're not going to pay it. And but they haven't been paying go- it. Remember, there's been a moratorium right. on. They they haven't oh, paid right. it for yeah. several years now. <laughs> right. Okay. So I don't know. So anyway, they're they're if they haven't paid it, then maybe it doesn't have it doesn't have that inflationary effect. But we have this question of how do they stop? Now they have to stop because it can't. You can't forgive. Federal government can't be in the position of subsidizing one class of people in this way, in perpetuity, particularly when they are people who are going to be the wealthiest people. I was thinking about this. When did the federal government start professing a specific interest in 
the higher education of its citizenry. Because, you know, in 1900, 4% of people went to college. And then, you know, now something like 70% of people dip their toe into college. Though I think the number of people who graduate, again, is somewhere between 30 and 40% or get a degree is between 30 and 40%. When did this happen? Well, there was a moment at which it was determined that the country had a national interest in having a highly educated citizenry, and that was Sputnik. So in 1957, when the Soviets surprised everybody by sending some, you know, by 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 uh, by beginning the space race and getting the first person into space, uh, after the first getting the first dog into space, um, uh, there was a national panic, and the idea was we have to get our we have to get Americans need to get educated real fast uh, because you don't know where the next genius is going to come from, and so. Suddenly, we were not only subsidizing science, we are subsidizing science programs. Uh, the Ivy Leagues ended their quota system against, particularly against Jews, on the grounds that the country had a prevailing national interest in getting itself as smart as possible, as quickly as possible. And they subsidized things like studying Russian so that the CIA and, uh, you know, so that we could know what the Russians were up to by having literate people study Russian and then go in the government and tell us what, you know, intercept cables and listen to communications and, and know what was going on. So there was this idea that we needed a kind of, you know, graduate level, we needed to mass massify graduate level education to save the country uh, because we were falling behind technologically. Now this is, as Abe would say, so it was an argument for that. It was probably unnecessary, whatever, who, who knows. Um, everybody, a, a lot of people benefited from it, uh, including people like us, because they stopped having quotas of, you know, universities and stuff like that. But nonetheless, we're now 60 some odd years later. Uh, yeah, and now we're supposed to subsidize gender studies and, you know, media studies and you know, uh, affinity group studies and schools that are now not letting white people sit with black people uh, at tables for fear that, you know, they will ruin their experience and whatever. I mean, so the the only thing, but the, we have some weird residue here, which is that it is good for the country that it have a lot of people who are, who who go to college or go to graduate school. And I just don't know if that's true. I I, I don't I'm know if it's that's not. True. Okay. I mean, I don't well, want to no. say that. Look, what do we do? Like, we produce a we produce a a a, a difficult, complicated magazine to read. We obviously want readers. We want it, the people who will the people who you know who partake of our goods will tend to be people from this class from this class so i don't want to like be you know say some be some sort of anti-intellectual here i mean uh, you know we're we're thought workers this is the world in which we we live yeah. and work but i just what is what is the evidence that the country needs uh, really I, I don't know what is the evidence that the country needs 100 million college graduates I, I i don't know well the country i mean if judge if you're judging by congress which has i think almost a hundred percent 
I think there's a few members of Congress who do not have college degrees, but something like 96 or 97 percent of our elected representatives to to Congress have a college degree. And almost half of them are lawyers, too. They have graduate degrees just in terms of law degrees. I think it's like between 35 or 40 percent of those also have law degrees. So we don't have representatives of the view that you're talking about, John, are, are the people who make the laws on both sides of the aisle are from this class as well. And you can argue that that's better. They're more sophisticated. They know more. But I'm I'm with you on it depends on what their degree is in. Right. If it's in if it's in, you know, anti-racism, I'm not sure that that's going to be helpful for governing the, this yeah. complicated country. So it's it's not clear from the output of Congress that that having a degree gives you gives you more insight into what the country needs. But that's where we are, that the class that makes the laws, that administers the laws, that does all of this. Everyone has a college degree. I'm just you know, re- regarding the point about our readership and our listeners, and I, I understand, of course, but um, it's it's not as if um, intellectual is a synonym for uh, uh, intelligent college. Uh, no, 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 for, for, for degree holder. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, right. They're they're the, the sources of of sort of knowledge and and. Um, guides to to thinking and and all of that book there are there are books that exist outside of universities that that serve you can go to a library and read check them yes. out for free no, believe course, it or not of course i'm just right no i mean i, I mean this is a, a a much larger right almost philosophical question which is like you know this, it was axiomatic 20 years ago everybody said we need a highly educated workforce now because we're moving into a new world in which people are going to be, you know, have to do abstract things at computers and they need to be trained and they need, therefore, education is more important than ever because they need to deal with abstractions and all of that. And um, uh, I, again, you know, what, the odd part about this notion or this conceit is that uh, automation and roboticization and all of that make desk work easier not harder they th- this is you know it's not like you need to learn how to use an abacus although for me an abacus would require a graduate degree in education i'm sure you know uh, billions of chinese people learn to use abacuses over the millennia without college degrees but i'm just saying like it you know the point is that you can now work somewhere and press a button and the button does all the work um, th- there was a kind of gimmick here that everybody was going to have to learn how to code in order to work at a computer. And uh, almost exactly the opposite is true. The computer is what it is because it's easy to use, not because it's hard to use. And um, well, and it's rendering a lot of knowledge work obsolete too, which was not foreseen by those who thought we all needed to learn exactly. to code, you know, 15 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, but I think to get to the largest point here and the the horror here is this this idea that um uh the i, I hate to put it this way because i don't want to be partisan in this way but that the democratic party has now become the party of people who say um uh, i don't like the deal that i struck so i want the government to come in and change the rules to help me after the fact I made this deal. I don't. I don't want. I don't. I don't want it anymore. It's not fair. Like I, I borrowed all this money to go to college, and it's like I would rather use that money for something else. Fix it for me. That is so unbelievably unhealthy. Morally unhealthy. 
to make it conditional that when you enter into a contract to pay back your debts, that there is there will now always be the hope in the back of your head that somebody is going to come in behind you with the authority of the government and change that so that you get off scot-free. That but this is, is horrifying. But that's why I think you're, and I'm going to channel Noah here for a minute. That's why you're seeing the identity politics overlay on a lot of this, right? The discussion, I mean, Biden completely garbled it yesterday in his remarks, but by by claiming that black people don't own, don't own homes, even though I think it's something like 40% of, of African-Americans in this country own their own homes. So that's not at all insulting to just say black and brown people don't own their homes, but the idea, meaning which they couldn't borrow against them to, to fund education in the way that other homeowners might be able to do. But there's an overlay for for a lot of this of the identity politics argument. So it's it's this is the equity versus equal equality of opportunity, right? This is if things don't shake out in a perfectly equal way, something must be wrong and the federal government must fix it. This is this is another iteration of that overarching principle which has really guided a lot of the domestic policy choices that this administration has made. So um, you, you made this really clever point about how uh, Biden is now daring. It's a little like Obama with the. I keep saying it's really like Obama with the Dreamers. Obama had absolutely no authority to do the Dreamers. He knew it. Everybody knew it. The court said so. He made the announcement anyway. You could at, you could make the argument that it was a horrible act of cynicism to give people hope that they did not that they should not have had that somehow. They were going to be magically delivered from the incredibly difficult situation that they were in. Um, so uh, Biden has asserted his authority to do this, and he will likely be stopped. He does not have the constitutional authority to do this. If he, if the courts were to say that he did, in other words, that emergency powers can be extended forever, that you can apply a rule that was put in place for for X and twist it around and turn it into Y, which is, by the way, why the CDC's ability to impose the rent moratorium was lifted by the courts, which is, no, I'm sorry, uh, you uh, germ hunters in Atlanta can't can't come in and control the housing market in the United States. That's not how things work. Um yeah, so they then have this second step, which is the heartless courts that, you know, the heart, I don't think it has to get, it's not even whether it goes to the Supreme Court or not, which would take two years anyway. It'll be lower courts that will stay this. And it may well be Biden courts that stay it. Uh, by the way, you know, by a Biden appointed judge could stay it. Uh, it's, do they then get the second shot at, you know, second bite at the apple? But the legal heartless, reasoning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so the so the Department of Education's general counsel under Betsy DeVos during the Trump administration was asked to deal to was asked to look at the legal implications of student debt loan forgiveness, cancellation, whatever you want to call it, uh, breaking of these contracts. And they they basically said we can't do this, right? This the, the, even even with an emergency situation, the Secretary of Education could not announce this. So Biden now has a has his his uh, office of legal counsel has a memo uh 
which basically says the opposite, but it, but it argues from the from the conclusion it wanted, which is to, to find a justification for this. So they invoke, they really emphasize the emergency powers and, and the alleviation of harm because of this COVID emergency. But the only problem with that reasoning is what any average person looking at this says, but you've had this moratorium on repayment. So people actually haven't been suffering during the emergency. They had that removed because they had this moratorium on, on paying their loans back now that we're getting out of the emergency. They have to go back to paying, but they're invoking the emergency to say, well, now the emergency is still here. And even though you didn't suffer during the emergency, you'll suffer if you have to return to pre it, it It's like a weird, it's like one of, it's a Mobius strip. It's very strange. <laughs> doesn't well, make I, sense to me, but I'm not a lawyer. So, <laughs> right, no, so, so the administration is saying the emergency is still here while bragging about uh, job growth. Right. Well, I mean, <laughs> none of it, look, uh, not to view this as a transparently cynical act. Uh, Washington Post editorial today says that it's a terrible idea. It's a regressive tax. It's, you know, foolish. It's inflation. Everything is wrong with it. That's obvious, right? So then if, if it's not transparently cynical, it can only be defended on grounds that it is revolutionary. And that's where it gets interesting to me politically, because I don't, I, you know, I, I, I'm struggling to understand where this country is on a lot of these issues because everybody now seems to be a revolutionary. But on the grounds that government should be doing things like this, this is a new understanding of government. Not, not that government shouldn't, you know, intrude, you know, involve itself in the private economy to help people, but that this is what government is for: is to make the lives of people easier using whatever modality is at hand and not there to provide for the common defense and, you know, uh, and do things that we all have to have in common, like have share a sewer system or, you know, water supplies or things that no individual person can really supply for himself unless he's a survivalist living living in the woods and you know doing you know sort of subsistence living right so that is what we sort of understand government at its root to be and this is an entirely new idea this is cradle to grave we're we're picking and choosing what it is that we will help you with and you will do things accordingly but it's and, very yeah. elite it's very elite right. if you think about it. I think there was there was a long-standing, um, you know, you can even you can call it democratic socialist, but it's basically the Democratic Party has embraced a kind of very gentle cradle-to-grave welfare idea for a long time. But I think what the Biden administration and, and in the last, I would, you know, and the progressives in general have been very successful at doing now is shifting the old Overton window to make to make it very much payoffs to for elite choices. So for if you're if you're a working class person without a college degree who will not benefit from student loan uh, debt forgiveness, but you you know you have a gas guzzling truck because your work requires you to have a pickup truck and you commute a long way and you say, geez, gas prices are terrible. What's the message you get from the Biden administration? You should probably buy an electric vehicle because even though that's wildly out of price range and totally ineffectual for the job that you do that requires the use of a pickup truck, you would do better with a hybrid or electric vehicle. Same thing with energy costs. Oh, your your air conditioning or heating bill is too high. You should just install solar panels and then you'll see. Like there's a weird kind of, it's not just that we want to help you. It's that you must accept a certain kind of help that the elite opinion in this country has deemed um, appropriate for you. And if you don't, then you're a crazy radical populist nut, nut job QAnon person. Like there's, I mean, I'm, 
obviously being hyperbolic here, but that messaging is to me the new thing about the cradle to grave sort of government should solve all your problems. Well, you know, they can't provide the kind of help that you even said, like, okay, if you're going to do this, then we need to subsidize people who have to buy new precision tools or help them with, you know, transportation costs or something like that because it's too expensive. You know, we already went through this. Democrats learned that you can't pass a $2 trillion, you know, relief act, even if it was just Joe Manchin. But if it hadn't been Joe Manchin, it would have been somebody. It would have been something else. But you can't just do that because it's too expensive. This has a, this is a smaller, you know, price tag. And we've now gotten to the point where saying half a trillion dollars, it's like, well, that's, uh, you know, that's modest. That's a modest, you know, it's look, it's not $2 trillion. I mean, each one of these numbers... 10 years ago would have been a number that would have caused people to, you know, like keel over. And we've now normalized that. But to do this in a fair way, in a populist way that shows no distinction between would be to spend the entire gross national product on these subsidies, which is actually what Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders want because they are socialists and that is the whole idea behind socialism. Um, but that is not where the American people are. So, so uh, we got to go, but just very quickly, what are the odds? Do you think that ordinary American uh, college educated person with loans is actually going to see this loan forgiveness? What do you think? Low. Very, very low. Yeah, I agree. Uh-huh. And yet, so does it matter? Because will B- Biden will now be given credit in the minds of the college educated. Not unless I see that, and not unless they see that debt cleared. I'm not sure. It's it's kind of a false promise then. It's a yeah, politician yeah, it, promising. It, it kind of exposes it as it's done. Okay, well, as I say, let's see if we see increased enthusiasm in November among voters who ordinarily don't turn out in the midterms and see if in polls they say things like, I like Biden not only because I I voted Democrat, not only because I'm worried about these Republican crazies and their abortions and, st- and, their, and their hatred of abortion, but also I like the debt forgiveness. So we, we should actually get an, an, an answer on this, and it will be a very interesting answer and a very frightening answer if it comes up so positive, because it really will mean that the country is in a the the country is in a spiritual crisis. People who okay, don't but- want to pay their debts are people who are who have lost the thread of what it means to not only be a responsible person but a moral person living in a society in which there is contractual exchange between people. But it will depend on how people are asked, because who's going to say I'm against forgiveness? Forgiveness is a very powerful word. And if you're talking about how pollster if in an exit poll, are you did you vote yes for the Democrats because you you support debt? Forget, of course, let's be so forgiving of everyone's debt. If you say, should people be able to spend money and then not not, you know, put something on a credit card and then not pay their credit card and the government should bail them out? You're going to get a very different answer. Okay. Abe, and you're you're in the you're in the low. You're you're very low. And will it help? Will it help? Will it help them? What? The Democrats will it help the Democrats in November? If it does happen, no. First of all, it can't happen before November. 
Right. It'll be stayed in a week. Right. But, okay. But will it help so, them? Uh, yeah. I think it, you know, it's look, it's it's also the timing. It's this it's this this sense of of there's a string of things happening yes. suddenly. Um so you got to right. if you can keep that that going, throw throw whatever you can at it. Um keep right. that storyline in place. Right. Okay, well we'll be uh we'll be back tomorrow uh for the absent Noah and Abe and Christine. I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning. <laughs>